This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined by former Celtic youngster Michael McGlinchey on Football CFB today. Since Michael left Celtic, he's forced out an incredible career over in Australia. He's played in New Zealand, he had a loan spell in Japan, played at the World Cup, played at the Olympics. So when you when you consider that people always assume that when a player leaves a Celtic or a Rangers that they might not go on to, to, to achieve Lots of things within the game. Arguably, Michael, especially at international level, you've achieved a lot more than, than Scotland have in, in many years. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, as you said, like when I left Celtic, it was um, a big ambition of mine to, to continue where I thought I was going to be when I was at Celtic. So, as you just said, getting to, getting to the major tournaments and that are definitely a highlight of my career. And in terms of coming through at Celtic, what was it like around that time? Because... You were at Celtic during the sort of big transition of Martin O'Neill to Gordon Strachan. You made an appearance, of course, under under Martin O'Neill. So, so what was that time like for you with all those quality players that were there on big money at the time? You think of Sutton, Thompson, yeah. Hartson and that transition that came afterwards? I think, looking thinking about it now, it was a, it's a fantastic education just to be amongst the players. They were, as you said, they were fantastic like characters and, and amazing players and it was difficult at the time to obviously break into that team but I think learning from them has definitely helped me in my career but uh, hard, to, hard to sort of break in that was probably the downside of having such quality players round about. Am I right in saying that Manchester United tried to sign you before um, Celtic gave you a professional contract? Yeah so I was, um, it was around about, I was 15 I think and I heard that Manchester United were interested and um, I was obviously excited about that and but I was, I'm a mad Celtic fan, the whole family Celtic people um, and one day Tommy Burns and Martin O'Neill actually just turned up at my door and said look we really want you at this club and they offered the contract and stuff but I was still in the back of my mind thinking well I'd love to just have a, a little look down at, at Manchester United and um, I think about two weeks later Martin O'Neill said look go down have the week down there and see what you think and they actually offered me I think it was a three or a four year contract but the Celtic family and everybody associated with the club was just thinking you can't really knock back Celtic, especially when Tommy Burns and Martin O'Neill um, show such an interest in you. Um, so I decided that I thought my future lied at Celtic. You mentioned Tommy Burns there. I've, I've got to ask you about Tommy because I've been lucky enough to speak to a few people on the show. Michael Tidser being one of them who yeah. was in that youth setup at Celtic and he just describes Tommy as being a happy-go-lucky guy who was up for a laugh but he could be very serious when he had to be as well. Oh, he was, he's, Everybody said everything about him. He was an incredible person, incredible man, but just so passionate and, and he genuinely cared about the boys. You know, He really wanted the, the boys to have good careers and as you said, it was it was the jokes and the banter that he had with you. But when when it was time to be serious, he, he could switch the he could switch it to being angry, and and he got the best out of you both sort of ways. But an incredible person, definitely like a, a mentor for me when I was in about Celtic. 
And see, when you go up to train with the first team as a youngster at that time, what was it like in your first day? Were you nervous? Do you, do you go up and try not to say too much or do you go up and, and really try and prove yourself straight away? I think they, at that time, the characters were so intimidating and you were going up and you were trying your best, but they would leave little digs in and, and smash around the training pitch and you're thinking, it's, if this is the level that I need to get to, I've got a lot of work to do. So yeah. You're, you're constantly trying to work at your game, but that, that Celtic team was, was a dominant team and it was quite intimidating for a lot of the young boys, I think, to go up to that environment and, and, and play. And, and I think not many actually came through. I think McGee Day and maybe Maloney are the only few that kind of got into that team. So it was such a strong team. And in terms of your youth team, before we talk about you getting your, your appearance in the first team, who were the big players in your youth team that, that maybe didn't go on to play for Celtic but went on to play for, for other clubs as well? Uh, I think... That, Simon Ferry was definitely the, like, the main midfield player. We had Conroy, Ryan Conroy on the left, and Jim O'Brien, and Darren O'Day, who did go on to play for Celtic, Cuthbert. So we had a really, really strong youth team. And I'm just looking at my medals when I came back. Now I've got all the youth medals and stuff. And, and I think that Celtic team was actually the, the Scotland team that went on to, to play at the Euros. So we were strong. We had a really strong youth team. Um, not many of us actually got into the Celtic first team, but I think a lot of us went on to have careers in the game. You mentioned Simon Ferry there. Lots of people know Simon now from being on the radio, doing open goal. But, but again, he's another guy that a lot of people talk about when he was a young guy at Celtic. Yeah. He was a quality player. And if it wasn't for injuries, could have went on to have a really top career? I don't even know if it was like... For me, he was one of the best midfield players that I've ever played. He was fantastic on the ball, you know. He just always wanted the ball and always looked forward. And I'm surprised that he never got... I think he had a lot of ankle problems, but... He probably should have been in that first team. He should have been playing for Celtic. Um, but he did have a, a good career. He went down to England and played. But he was one that I think he, he, he was he was top notch. And for you, um, getting into that first team and, and making your debut against Livy, albeit it doesn't matter the fact you're a sub, just to get into that team and, and get minutes on the park, just, just what was that like? And describe your feeling, because I imagine... Being a Celtic fan, you're absolutely buzzing, you're excited, but at the same time, the nerves must kick in as well when you go, this is a Celtic first team I'm getting into. Yeah, I think I was nervous, I think, when he shouted me down, when I was running down, I remember thinking, Phew. but as soon as I got on the pitch, I just tried to run around and get involved, and I think we were 1-1 at the time, so I was trying to make an impact, and um, I think Nakamura actually scored, and we won the game, and the roll went up, and, I, and at that moment, running towards him to celebrate, because I remember thinking I was in a dream, you know, you're running over, you hear the 60,000, and you think this is what I've tried to get to my whole life and you kind of think at that moment that you're going to get loads more opportunities like that and but as I said like before the standard is so high in training you need to be on it and some somebody else gets an opportunity the next week and then you're, you've been two or three weeks without being back on the pitch and you're desperate for that opportunity again and um, you just have to keep working but sometimes it just you just don't get that second chance. And in terms of a club like Celtic, you mentioned how ruthless it is, especially regardless of whether you're experienced or young. If you come in and, as you say, don't take the opportunity in the manager's eyes, it could be two, three, four, even a couple of months before you get a, another opportunity. What was that like for you when you're getting towards an age where you're seeing maybe other boys your age, other clubs play yeah. week in, week out? Is that where the frustration comes in and you think, I should probably try and get a loan spell or something to get some games. Yeah, in. I think so. It is difficult. I mean, you would, you would go away with Scotland teams and, and all the players would be starting to get into their first team, like Snodgrass and Dorans and, and Reynolds and Constantine and all these boys were starting to get into their first teams and we were sort of, we weren't really in that first team frame yet and, and it's, it's hard to see that they're kind of kicking on and you're not and I think that's the, 
the disadvantage of going to a team like Celtic that you do get less opportunities to to show what you can do and and a lot of the boys go on and have careers and a lot of Celtic boys don't because of it but I think um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one where you sort of was best to go I think as you're a young boy I think the most important thing is to just try and get into a first team and play as many first team games as possible because when you get to a certain age maybe 21, 22 and you've not played many first team games I think clubs just look at you like you're still a potential and you're still a risk to take whereas someone else who's maybe been at a smaller team has got hundred games under the belt and they're the ones that try to kick on in their career and you're sort of so definitely from that 22, 20, 28, 22 age I mean I definitely felt like I need to kind of kick on here and, and get out or I'm going to get left behind. What was your experience of Dunfermline like when you go there in loan because the championship is, is is one of those leagues where no matter who you're playing whether it's a team at the top or the bottom it's competitive every single week. Yeah, it was diff- totally different experience for me. It was different. Uh, I'd been used to playing Tuesday, 2 o'clock at Airdrie in front of no fans and, and having 60, 70% of the ball whenever we play. And then you go down to that level and it's it, it did open my eyes a little bit because it was, I think, my debut. I don't think I touched the ball for 20 minutes. It, it was just frantic and it was going. And I'm looking to try and get passes and it was like, nah, you need to roll your sleeves up here and, and then earn the right to play and all that kind of thing. So I was only there for, I think, two or three months but it definitely gave me a taste of what it needs to you need to do to, to be a professional you need to sort of roll the sleeves up dig in a bit and and then play and, and, and I know you've talked about this recently and um, the fact that you, once you get a taste of first team you ought to get even more of it I know there was a story again you spoke about recently about wanting to go on loan to Ross County it looked as if it was going yeah. to happen and then you get told well do you fancy going to East Stirling and, and I remember you saying in the interview it was a real big turning point you think yeah. I, I need to get out maybe yeah I don't I, do you know I don't even think what um, East Stirling were were in for me. I think it was just called Jim Mack connection and, and Willie. And I'd went to Willie in the in the morning. I said, look, this was late January. I said, I think I think I've heard something about Ross County. He said, look, I'll chase it up for you and see if there's anything there. And then after training, he pulled me in the gym and he was going, look, I don't know where you heard that from. Like Ross County, they, they aren't interested. And this was now maybe getting two or three days until the window shut. And I was 22 at the time. And he goes, maybe, like, I don't know if he was just saying, look, maybe just, look at East Stirling and maybe Jim Mack and go down there and, and try and find your love of football again but just to hear that was a bit demoralising you know I, I was crushed you know to think I'm still a Celtic but I've still got dreams to play in big tournaments and getting moves and, and then I'm getting told maybe maybe look at that sort of option so that definitely like just thought you know what the next six months I need to just prepare myself as best as I can because I do believe I'm a good football player and I'm prepared to go anywhere around the world to, to prove that um, so that was definitely a moment where I thought, nah, I, I, need to, I need to look elsewhere, I need to look outside this country. You mentioned looking out, out with Scotland. I mean, the next move is, is to Australia, Central Coast Mariners. It was an initial trial and then, then they offered you a contract. Just what was it, yep. like when, what is it like when you go on trial as a footballer? Because people always assume that oh, footballers get it easy and they earn not, decent money, etc. But you need to prove yourself yep. in a trial. It's and not, not easy. It's not easy at all. And, and the... Um, after the, the, the conversation I had about um, East Stirling, the next month I actually went to Toronto in Florida for a trial. So I've just paid for my own flights and went over there. And it was a big two-week trial I had. And, and there was loads of players there. Do you know, I think I was going over there. They were coming to look at me, but there was about 20 players on trial at the time. And, uh, and it never really worked out for me then. And I came back and I thought, like, I just had in my head that I will go anywhere. I need to go. And then that came about going to Central Coast. And they sort of sold it to me like, there's an offer here, 
this is the contract, but we still want to see you. But when I got there, I realised it was a full trial. Do you know what I mean? There was no offer. There was, I was there for two, maybe two and a half weeks, and I still hadn't signed. But I was playing well, so um, I ended up getting the deal. And when you get that deal over there, just describe the feeling of that, because unlike a loan spell, see when it's a permanent deal, does that make a difference in your mindset as a player? Because you know that you're settled in many ways. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a f- funny story. I, I I went over to Australia. The agent picked me up at the airport and he drove me up to the central coast, which is about an hour and a half north uh, of Sydney. And I'm looking at this place. It's a beautiful place, like the beach and stuff. And I'm thinking, right, this is, this is a bit of me. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to be all over this. And he puts me in the hotel. And then in the morning, he picks me up and he's standing at the door. And I, I look at him and he goes, you'll never believe he's been on the phone. And I was like, who's that? And he goes, the Ricky Herbert, the New Zealand manager, he actually wants you to play for New Zealand. And he goes, I didn't know you had any connections in New Zealand. And I said, well, I was born there, but I, I was only, I left when I was nine months old. And he goes, look, they've, they've heard that you're over here. And he goes, they want you to play for the national team. And they're actually only one game away from the World Cup. So I was actually, that was the day I was going to my first trial with the Mariners. So I went in at the Mariners, 10 foot tall, thinking, I'm an, I'm, from being a trialist, I'm going in as an, an, an international. It was like, the most ridiculous situation I could, and uh, so I went into the Central Coast, um, told them that sort of New Zealand were interested, and Ricky Herbert was actually the, the manager of Wellington Phoenix, another team in the A League, so they kind of thought that they're going to poach me to go to Wellington Phoenix now that I'm over this end of the world, so I think it maybe forced them a little bit more to go, oh, we're going to get this boy signed, because he'll go to Wellington, um, so it just all changed, like, I went from as I said, in January, kind of potentially going to East Stirling to then in the August getting told, like, do you, want to, do you want to play for New Zealand? They've got a game next month away at Jordan. And then the next month in September, we're playing a double header against Bahrain. The winner goes to the World Cup. So my whole head my whole head just went, exploded. And I thought, right, I, I managed to knuckle down, got the contract at um, Central Coast. I went away to Jordan, played my debut for New Zealand. Uh, and then the next month, I'd, I'd done the double header against Bahrain. I played um, at Wellington. We qualified for the World Cup. So by the end of two thousand and nine, I had I was an A League player going to the World Cup. It was just and it was all because I just had that belief of leaving and trying to see what else was out there. And um, there is a lot of football outside Scotland. You know, it's not just it's a little bubble here at times. And I went over there and it sort of opened my eyes to how big football actually is around the world. Absolutely, I think you're, you're spot on with that. We, we do get caught up in this bubble. You see that, I think, with the qualifiers at times when, when a lot of people in Scotland assume if they've not heard of the opposition, yeah. then they must be poor, when, when really there's, there's quality players all over Europe and even, even further afield. And, and getting into the Mariners team, playing for New Zealand, getting, knowing that you're going to be going to a World Cup, is just mm-hmm. incredible. And for the main question I've got about the Mariners, what's the standard like in the A-League? Because it's something that quite a few of us over here managed to watch a wee bit during lockdown because it was on. Yeah, well, I think I think it's the A-League at that time was only five years in, but it got a lot stronger. And I think great people like Graham Arnold and Ange Postacoglu and that came in and started changing Australian football. And it became like a, a real technical sort of style of play. Like you get, There's no relegation there, so you will get really criticised if the team just kicked the ball long. Every team tries to play football. You get it even gets to a point where keepers will chip balls over strikers' heads, and but every they've got an idea of trying to turn Australian football into like a Dutch or a Spanish style of football. And um, so it really, really suited me that teams that wanted to play. But for me, I would say like as I said, there's a bit of an A League bubble, a bit of an Australian bubble, and a bit of a Scottish bubble. People in Australia would would think that 
a Melbourne victory or a Sydney would beat Aberdeen or Hibs. But people in here would obviously think that they would wipe the floor with Australia. So for me, I, I think the style of football would actually better suited for me over in Australia. Um, but again, there's no relegation and stuff, so there is definitely that aspect that you need to take into account. And I want to just get your your um, view on on sort of when you go into the national team because some big players in there, Ryan Nelson, obviously an English Premier League player, and the likes of Chris Killen, who's obviously at Celtic, went down south. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. Wood, who's obviously went on to achieve a lot and still is achieving a lot in football as well. What was it like yeah. when you went into that national team and trained with those players? Uh, well, Chris Wood was he he had his first game with me, so we we've done the whole. 11 years together in the national team so he was just a 17 year old boy when he went in but you could see that the talent that he had right away was it was he's a, he's a, freak, a bit like John Hartson in a way when he was younger he was a big boy but he knew how to use his body and could bang in goals for anywhere but the main player as you said was Ryan Nelson and to go in there like the diff, I think the Kiwi mentality is just they're so humble they're so nice people like Ryan Nelson a big Premier League player but you couldn't meet a nicer person you know he just made you feel so welcome and uh I just enjoyed that environment. I think the Kiwi people are the nicest people and they brought me into that environment even though I've got a thick Scottish accent. I got a bit of stick for that at times because none of the Kiwi but, but it was it was fantastic. I I've, I've always I really enjoyed my time in New Zealand and I settled in really quickly and I think getting to qualifying and I think the, the players sort of respected me as a player that definitely helped me getting in that environment. And in terms of yourself, was the move to Motherwell partly to just make sure you were as sharp as possible for the World Cup? Yeah, absolutely. I think the A-League season at the time finished in February and uh, it was one of the ones that I didn't want to just keep training and I, I was pretty confident I would make the World Cup squad but I thought if I can just get to a team. Um, and the funny thing is, like, like when I left to go to Australia, I had no clubs in Scotland really looking at me and then I, it took me to go away, play in the A-League, but they get the New Zealand stuff for me to actually, a team in Scotland to be interested in me to go back. So... Um, yeah, that's a bit funny that I had to go away to come back, but it, it was good for me to be there for four months to train and, and get fit for the World Cup. And in terms of your time at Mullerwell, you work with Craig Brown. I've, I've had Craig in the show. What a character he is. We are alongside him. Yeah, top guys, man. I think that the boys really respected them, loved their training. They got the bit. They were doing fantastic at the time. So I was, I was sort of coming off the bench in that at times, but I was only there as I said three, four months. I would have loved to do do a year under Craig and Archie and I think yeah I think I would have really enjoyed that The obvious game I know you were only there for a few months but six each straw with Hibs you come off the bench I mean <laughs> when you come off be honest did you think there was any chance of getting back into the game or was it one of those things you think I'm coming on for a run out here and, and we'll see yeah. what happens I think I don't know if I came on at 6-2 or 6-3 but yeah it was one of the ones that I got maybe 25 minutes and I thought right just come on and, and see but when we got the next goal, and then there's just a sense of something's going to happen here. And then I think when we went, we got, I think we got the penalty and missed it. And it was like, oh, maybe it's down. And then Lucas Djukovic scored one of the best goals I've seen. And uh, it is funny that like that game gets shown a lot, and that was like ten years ago. And I've not really had much of a SPFL career, and I'm always in that game. <laughs> so I think I maybe only played like eight games in the in, in Scotland, and that was definitely one to remember. Well, it is, and, and another thing that I remember from that game, I also spoke to Gordon Young, who was at Mullerwell at the time, and he said, when it gets to 6-2, there's people pouring out the stadium. He says, and yeah. then when Zukovic scores, the stadium's arguably busier than <laughs> ever. They just come back in. I know, and after the game, I remember Craig Brown saying, look, this is, all you young boys just never give up. He's like, this can happen. Like, it's proof, you've proved it tonight that it doesn't matter if you're 2-3, whatever down, because you can always get yourself back into a game. And 
um, in, his, in his right, obviously. And then when you find out that you're confirmed as being in that World Cup squad, describe that feeling because you mentioned the fact that you thought, well, Willie McStay wanted you to go to East Stirling and then within a year, you've went over to Australia, you're playing well, you've come back, played in the top flight in Scotland and got yourself in a World Cup squad. Just describe the emotions. Yeah, it was a, it was a big one, like the, the Bahrain game especially at, at Wellington because we'd got the draw over there and then we were coming to Wellington and I'd never seen anything like it, you know, in Wellington. It was like a little bit like Seville. Imagine if anybody went to Seville, people were all over the streets. It was cause I don't think New Zealand had been in the World Cup for maybe 28 years. And this was the game. We were at home in Wellington and it was unbelievable. So walking around the streets the day before and stuff, it was, you know, it was getting goosebumps time then. So I remember thinking, this is a bit of a fairy tale story here for me if I can qualify for this World Cup, but it would be such a come down if I got this far and then fell away. So I remember thinking, I've been through a pretty tough time, to be honest, at Celtic from maybe 20 to 22. I had a tough couple of years where I sort of doubted myself a little bit and, and there was nothing really in Scotland for me and I'm getting told to go to these places. And I think a lot, I, had a lot, I did have a lot of self-belief that, that I could get there. And this was like the defining game for me. And I managed to start the game. We, we scored the goal just before half-time. They missed a penalty, which would have been um, an away goal for them. And you're just thinking, this, this is destiny. We're getting to the World Cup here. And, um, so th- to get there was just ecstatic. To get to get selected for the World Cup as well. Um, I remember think, feeling like, right, this is it. Now I'm 22, 23. This is the time to kick on and have another 10, 15 years or whatever I can do in the game. And in terms of the World Cup itself, describe the preparations and, and what it's like when you're in and around that atmosphere. Yeah, as I said, like we had a big, we had good characters in New Zealand and uh, the New Zealand setup, and we just had this belief like we're here, like let, let's do it, you know. Um, we don't really want to fear anybody. Uh, we went out, I think, with World Italy and stuff in our in our cup in our draw, and we went out there and drew but one one with. I think we were the only team. So we got three draws at the World Cup, the only team not to be defe- uh, undefeated team. So we just had this belief that they were like, let's go for it. Like teams are they're the ones that are going to have to be um, under pressure playing against us. So yeah, it was just a, a real relaxed environment for us, to be honest. And it's one of those things I was going to come to that, as you say, that the fact that you 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 get three draws, you're unbeaten, and you go out, and it's one of those ones where see we are going to go out of a World Cup. That's probably the way to do it, especially when you're yeah. a, a smaller nation, because you can go out with your heads held truly high. That's it. I think the last game though we were playing Paraguay, it was one one, and I think a draw, a draw maybe got Paraguay through, and a, a draw knocked us out. So they were they had a, it was like twenty five minutes to go, and they were bunkering in. They were sitting in going, but we'll take the draw. And I think that's the only thing I think we could have for that twenty five minutes, like through the kitchen sink at them, and if we'd have copped a goal or another way then so be it. But I think there was an opportunity there that we could have really pushed and, and tried to get into the next stage. But I don't know if subconsciously we were thinking, well, we're doing well here, but it's, it's 1-1. Um, but I, I would have liked to just through the kitchen sink and try to get to the next stage. And and from there, I mean, you, you, you're you still playing well uh, at regularly in the A-League um, and then the Olympics comes around. I mean, what was it like to be involved in that experience? Yeah, I was... Um, we'd, we'd played... Uh, I was in away with the national team and the, the manager at the time was um, Neil Emblem and he said look the the Olympics is an under 23 tournament he goes so I'm, I'm allowed three overage players he goes but at this moment I'm taking Ryan Nelson Winston Reid and um, Shane Smelks he goes but you're, you're my first standby at number four 
And I'm like, oh, I'm one off, you know. Like, it's not that these three um, overage players aren't going to pull out. But just so happened that I think Winston Reid was in, in the move of maybe moving to West Ham or he wasn't getting in many first team games and he didn't he wanted a full pre season, something happened. So Winston Reid, I think, withdrew himself from the squad and I I seen it on like Sky Sports News or something, Winston Reid pulls out and I remember him saying to me maybe a month ago, You're my number four. So I'm sitting like literally looking at my phone thinking, Am I gonna get a phone call? And then, then it came saying, Look, we want you in the Olympic squad flight to Tokyo in, in two weeks or whatever it was and um, yeah get yourself ready for, for going to the Olympics and it was in London as well so my whole family in Scotland managed to come down and, and see the games and again I'm not, I, it was a little disappointment because we had a strong team um, the first game I think we played Belarus in the, in the Olympics and we absolutely battered them and then they, they scored a goal uh, right at half time and we just couldn't break them down and it's, a, and it's a disappointment because I think we could have with that team definitely got to the later stages and in terms of that experience as well, it's again something that not many people from from from, from the UK will have, have overly experienced. And and from there, you also end up going on eventually to, to having a loan spell in Japan. I mean, just just describe that experience because again, it's something that you don't necessarily associate with with Scottish sort of based players at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, I was doing this. I was starting to really do well in the A League, and I was starting to get noticed a bit. And um, I had a few teams like. China and South Korea and that sort of looking at me but I was actually a foreign player in Australia um, I was one of five foreign players that, and Aussie players I think can go to Asia as a as a plus one so you can have three foreign players in Asia plus an Australian so a lot of these clubs thought I was an Australian so they were trying to get me there and once I was starting to do well in Australia I thought no, I, I would love to just get to Japan I'd, I sort of said no Europe's finished I'd love to get to Asia um, and I had a really good manager in Graham Arnold, who's, who's the best manager I think I've ever had. And he really took me under his wing, and I, I was starting to I was starting to do well for him. And he was coming to me and saying, "Look, I'll take you wherever I go, but wherever I go next, I, I want you to come with me." Um, and I was thinking, "Right, okay." And what we we nearly went to China together, and it fell through like literally the last minute. And then, and then it was like six months later, he said to me, he gave me a call and he says, look, I've just got, I've just signed for Miguel to send that. He goes, I want you to come. I said, right, okay, how do we get this done? He goes, look, the best thing, because I had a release clause at the um, Central Coast Mariners. I think it was, I'm not sure, a couple of hundred thousand or something. And he said, look, if I take you on loan and pay them a loan fee, and then at the end of the loan fee, I can maybe sign you permanently. I said, right, whatever, whatever I just wanted to get to Japan. Um, and he made it work through a loan move. We went there together on the January, and he got sacked after six games. So it was a bit of a, you know, we went there. We went there trying, like, it'd been, a, honestly, it'd been like three, four years building up by him saying, we're going to go together, we're, we're, we're going to go, and we, we eventually get there. And then it, it lasted six games, and the new manager came in and sort of thought, right, I want my own foreign player. And, and in terms of the experience, I mean, what was it like initially? Because obviously you mentioned the fact that he gets sacked quite quickly and you've got to think, right, what do I do now? But what was the experience like when you're there initially? Is it, is it, was it a massive culture shock for you? Yeah, it was, it was a bit, to be honest. Um, I went over there myself. My, my wife just had a young, she was only six months old, my son at the time. So we flew, I flew over to Japan and um they take me in and they take me around the place that nobody speaks English. I don't, if they do speak English, they don't speak Glaswegian. You know, so I'm trying. <laughs> I'm really trying my best to try and talk, but they, they really don't. So you get into the dressing room. It's all it's all different. Like um, they go into the shower. They just everything. They sit down in the shower. Everything's sort of different to you. You're, 
um, you're trying to get your bearings, and then we go away for pre-season. I think we've done a month away, and it's and it's um, and it's uh, single single rooms and stuff. So I remember thinking that really really tough. Like I'd go to train and come back and I'd be in my room, and the ma- the manager kept saying to me, like, we'd go for dinner at nights, but he'd say like, I can't really be seen to see you during the day. I don't want the players to sort of think that you're getting. So we'd, I'd kind of be on my own a lot, and um, and then when you go, we came back from pre-season and you go into the dressing room and. You do feel that you're you're different. <laughs> you do feel like it's hard to try and communicate. And the other foreign player that we had was um, Portuguese, so he didn't speak English. So I had a translator that sort of tried to help me, but it's really difficult when the, when the manager, um, when the assistant manager was taking drills or something, he would shout to the translator and he would try and tell me. But he, his English was really broken. He was he actually learned his English in Ireland, so he had an Irish accent, Irish Japanese accent, and he would he he would run onto the pitch to me and be like, "You have to make the pass to make the ball move," and I'm like, "What what are you saying to me here?" Do you know what? It's it's really difficult. He he played on my wing. The, the translator would stand on my wing, and and just shout things to me, and I'm looking at him thinking, "May as well shut up because I can't. I don't know what you're saying." Um. So yeah, when when the manager left, the new manager came in, and it got really tough because I I really couldn't communicate with anybody and but I, I was enjoying the football I just think because the, the club was not winning games it was getting the pressure was mounting on the club and stuff and I just think if I went there picked up a few results I think I would have really enjoyed playing in Japan because the, the, the style of football and the technical players it was it was different class you know everything was short, short and sharp the touch and stuff was excellent Another thing that, that about your career, you mentioned earlier on in the interview about Wellington Phoenix being interested in you years before and you eventually joined them. I mean, what was that move like when it happened? Did it, did it feel like something that was always kind of destined to happen, obviously, with, with, by with playing with the national team? Yeah, I think it did. I think I, once I was in a, kind of an established A-League player, as I said, I was a foreign player in the A-League as a, when I played in Australia. So I was one of five. When I played for Wellington Phoenix, I wasn't a foreign player because I was a I was a Kiwi, so I was allowed to go there as a non-foreigner. So I, I, even though I, I've always played in the league as a foreigner, they could they could sign five foreign players and bring me in. So the team was getting more international players without actually using the, the spots. So I always felt like it was I would I would have ended up at Wellington and just. I was, I'd been in Japan six months, and Ernie Merrick at the time just sent me a text saying it must be difficult over there without Arnie now, Graham Arnold, and he goes, would you be interested in Wellington Phoenix? Um, and I said, and he just got me at a time where I thought, yeah, I kind of I kinda want out now. I kind of want to get back to what I know and play. Um, and he started, he started the ball rolling for me to go to Wellington. And see, having the experience in Japan, I always think this as well, when, when, when footballers go through a tough spell, see when you get back and you join Wellington, see because it's what you know, are you actually in a sense, more relieved to be back and also, in a sense, arguably more motivated than ever. Not that you're, you were never motivated before, but yep. because you did that rough experience, when you get back to something you enjoy, you think, right, I'm going to grasp this. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of players in the A-League and Asian uh, want to get to Asia, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, but when you get there, you're thinking, oh, you do miss the boys and you miss the league because the, the league was really starting to grow the A-League was growing I mean you're going to Melbourne Victory there's 25,000 there or Sydney FC 15,000 it's getting big and it's televised and um, and then you kind of get out the loop a little bit and you do I, I did feel at that time it's bad. I was I think at 27 so I was like I, I would like to get back there and play um, and then maybe look at going to Asia again maybe down the line in the future um, but at that time 
my wife was just well pregnant with it with our second kid. I was in Japan with a six month old baby and it just felt like, right, I need to get out of here. And and what I knew was the A League and they were off on a, a good contract and I thought this at this stage of my life then I need to take that. And in terms of the A League, it's something that you've played the majority of your career there. Obviously, you go back to, to Central Coast Mariners again for, for a second spell. Before we talk about that second spell, I want to ask you about, obviously, what it was like when, when, you, win, when you win titles there. Was, it, was that really, in a sense, just, I, I, I don't know, it made the moves and, and the trials and tribulations of having to go abroad from, from your time at Celtic all worth it? Yeah, as I say, like, when I went over, the, Mar- the Mariners are seen as a small, one of the smallest clubs in Australia. They've usually got one of the smallest budgets and it's a little place in Australia. It's not one of the major cities. Um, so we're always tipped to finish bottom down the, the bottom half of the league. But then we managed to get Graham Arnold. I don't know how we managed to get him, but he came in and the difference that he made and as a manager, he's fantastic. He's technically brilliant, but his man management skills are unbelievable. And uh, he just made it a real family club, and he, he was he was really big on bringing uh, wives, girlfriends, and everybody together, and, and he, he, he built this sort of club up. And once we once we started getting us getting into the groove of winning games, we just started believing that no, we're going we're going to win this title here. And we got second in the first his first year, and we got to the grand final. We won two 0 up in the hundred and sixteenth minute, and the team scored two goals. We went to penalty kicks, and we lost in penalties. It was devastating. So it was one of the. It was we played Brisbane Roar. I think there was like sixty-five thousand at the game, and we were thinking we're home and Brisbane were the best team in the league, uh, but we managed to defensively play well, got the two goals, sort of kept bunkering in, and then they went bang bang penalties beat us. So we, it was a massive crush. The next year we actually won the league, but we didn't win the the grand final, and then it was the third year that we we won the grand final, and it was just a, a three years of, of trying to win this thing, and when we won it. It was unbelievable. I mean, we had some f- unbelievable players, like players that are playing, Matty Ryans and Tommy Rogic and all of these young boys that Graham Arnold was, was getting playing football and they had a lot of mix of experience as well. So to actually win the title in Australia was was one of my career highlights. But after we won it, it was definitely a case of these players now were kind of ready to go to Europe and try different things and the team started to break away a little bit and I think that's it was, a, it was a three years of a high and then it was time for most players to sort of move on. And in terms of that um, grand final situation, what was that like for you at first when you get involved in the in the A League? Is it is it strange because you're obviously coming from an upbringing of Scottish football where yeah. you finished top of the league and you've won the yeah. title, whereas it's completely different. Yeah, I I used to say to the boys, well, the main thing is surely to win the league, and they're like, nah. And I like, but we've played twenty seven games to try and get to the top, and it really doesn't matter. You need to finish in the playoffs, and then from the playoffs you need to try and get into the grand final and you could win the league and get knocked out the first game and you're saying, yeah, you won the league, well done. You get a little clap, but nothing else, nothing like the grand final. Over there, it's all about the grand final. So um, we we used to, we were finishing one and two and at that time, you got like, you went right into the semi-final and the, the team that finished three, four or five, six, they played like a quarter-final game to play the, to play. so you were only really one game away from getting to the, the final but if you got knocked out that, it was, uh, you felt like it was a wasted year, but uh, it did take me a, a little while to get my head around how the, it works over there. But you can the, the grand final it becomes massive. I mean, if there was a hundred thousand seater, it would sell out. It's huge over there, so um, it's all about trying to win the grand final. 
And another trophy that you that you won in your career that again many people in Scotland might not know about the Oceania Football Confederation Nations Cup and yeah, and even better than that, you scored a penalty in the final. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like the four years before, we were tipped to because the winner of, the winner of that tournament goes to the Confederations Cup. So although it's played in uh, Oceania, it's played in Fiji or Papua New Guinea or whatever Solomon Islands, whatever it is. We played in Solomon Islands and. You're playing these games and it's about 30, 38 degrees and at half time you're putting on like a ice vest to just, you're, you're dead on your feet but they, these players are used to it and you're playing on muddy pitches and stuff and it's really difficult and we man, we get knocked out I think in the semi-final and had to watch Tahiti go to the Confederations Cup and play against the best players in the world so it was a massive disappointment for New Zealand football at that time so fast forward four years we we the preparations that we did to try and win that tournament. We we went to Brisbane in Australia and literally ran, the, the manager ran the legs off us to get us in the condition because we were going back to Papua New Guinea to play. So we were, we were in tip-top shape, but still going over there in their conditions. And the play, some of these players, like you, they do the most random things and they, and they hit things for anywhere. It's, it's crazy. Um, but we managed to get to the final, played Papua New Guinea in the final in Papua New Guinea. It went all the way to penalties and we're thinking so we're playing penalties to try and get to the Confeds Cup in Russia so it was a big even though it's only the Oceania Cup it was a big pressure situation to try and qualify for the Confeds Cup but luckily we managed to do it and seeing a penalty shootout environment how do you handle that do you make your mind up as to where you're going and stick to it or are you prone to changing your mind yeah, at that time we quite a young squad and that, we came in and the manager said, right, who wants penalties? And I remember, I remember thinking, well, I want to hit one early because I know I'm going to hit one. I want to just get one in early. Rory Farron, um, who played for Aberdeen actually, uh, he was the same. He said, he went, I'll go first. I said, I'll go second. And the manager was just saying, look, just find your corner and, and you, you put it in. And luckily we went one, two, three, I think we missed the fourth, but we, we won it on the fifth. Um but yeah, we should we probably should have. If the game was, if the game, the tournament was played in New Zealand, we'd, we'd win like easily. But they're played in these conditions that make it tricky. So, um, but we're lucky just to get through, get, and then we managed to focus on the, the Confederations Cup in Russia. One of the another unique moments. I feel like I've said that a lot in this interview, but it's true. You you played for the the A League All Stars, and, and you played against David Moyes as Manchester United. Describe that because it was when you look back in football history, Moyes as Man yeah. United didn't really last too long. So you were one of the yeah. few to play against them. It was a bit of a new thing, to be honest. It was um, they were trying out maybe it was the best players around the A League, so it was maybe two or three players per team um, that were getting selected to play and. I don't know if it was a fans vote or whoever did it, um, and we we got a week together with Ange Postecoglou, who's a fantastic manager. I think he's managing in, in the J League now at Yokohama, and he managed to bring us in for a week. And he tried to put a system in place, but we'd only been together a week, and we were trying to get things going. But we actually we played at the ANZ Stadium um, in Sydney, and obviously Man United is, is a big attraction, so it was eighty six thousand. It was sell, sold out. Uh, and we went out there to play them, but we were, as I said, it, it would have been probably better one team playing them, but we were all a mixed, mixed of players, and the manager tried to make players play 30 minutes and whatnot and pull players off, but yeah, I think it was, I think it actually was his first game that we, we played against, Man, David Moyes' first game, but it was nice to put to play against them, get the strip, and a lot of boys are Man United fans and stuff, so it was one that, I, yeah, you look back and go, yeah, I, I did do that, I played against Man United in front of that 86,000. 
And seeing that game, who were the players that impressed you most? I know that's maybe an obvious question, but but when you play against Man United, whether it's a friendly or whether it's a competitive match, I imagine it's it's amazing to be sharing the same field as the likes of Ryan Giggs. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say. I mean, he was obviously coming to the twilight his career then, but he was still unbelievable. And uh, I played on the right wing that day, so Patrice Evra was running me up and down. And uh, I think it was maybe Danny Welbeck was putting Lingard and that were, were getting runs out. Um, I think Ferdinand might have played real Ferdinand. So they, you're just looking at these guys and you're thinking the, the Rolls Royce of football we're playing against here. So it was a nice little game. And in terms of your career overall, how do you reflect on it so far and, the, and and what you've achieved? Because as I say, not many players who came through the system in Scotland go on to play international football and, and win titles for their nation and their club. Yeah, I'm, I look, I'm really proud of my career. I think... Um, as I said, I went through a tough spell at the start, thinking, "What where do I, where do I lie in Scottish football here?" And I just believed that I could I could play football, and uh, some some clubs here don't don't do that, um, and and that was obviously going to be difficult for me to 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 try and play a certain style. It's hard though when you come through Celtic and you get taught to play football, and then maybe maybe it hinders you a little bit when you when you're looking for a club outside Celtic that teams go, "Well, we don't really need that type of player. We need somebody that's going to roll their sleeves up and play." And, that's maybe a hard thing for Celtic players to, to come out and go right where they are, see myself in football. And not many people are adventurous enough to say, I'm going anywhere, I'm going to go and find my level and find what it is. And um, It's a shame though, because I think there is a lot of technically gifted footballers in this country. And I think the, if, if, they, if more managers were playing a style of football that would suit the players that they have, then they would have a, a better national team, they, absolutely. And in terms of the future for you, you've, you've still got a, a, a fair few years left in you yet. Are you looking to, to now come back to Scotland at this stage of your career and, and, and sort of settle back down in Scotland now? I think so, yeah. I think I've I spoken to my wife about it and we, we're really settled in Australia, but we've got three young kids now and they don't really know their grandparents and their, and their cousins and stuff. And we have a house in, in Glasgow, so we thought, like, we'll come back and see if we can settle here and, and sort of move ourselves back. It's been 11 years that we've been around the world. Um, maybe it's time that we come back. And I, I'd love to keep playing playing football. And I'm still sort of in the mix with the New Zealand national team. There's actually a game next month against England at Wembley. I'd love to be involved in that. So I know I need to try and find a level that's going to try to get me involved in that sort of fixture um, so I'd love to I'd love to keep playing I think I'm I'm only 33 I, I still feel fit and I still feel that like I could do a job Just before you go a few quick fire ones for you best players you've played with? With uh, Ryan Nelson Chris Wood Winston Reid um, uh, and in Scotland I'd say McGeady um, Ferry Stephen Fletcher Boys like that. Toughest opponents? Um, oh, oh, I could I could name the the, the Portugals and um and players like that. I think of an individual player that's really stood out to me. Uh, I'd say I'm not sure actually. It's tough as opponent now. You need to give me a time to think about that. I'm not sure. Next in one. <laughs> in terms of playing in, in the A League, who would you say is a sort of most underrated player that you've played with? Because there might be a couple of players, for instance, that we might not have heard of a lot over here in Scotland. Oh, there'll be loads of players you wouldn't heard of. Like, I played with a player, John Hutchinson, that was just a, a real steady A League player, but 
I remember thinking he 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 could play in Europe. You know, he's he just got a real comfortable, um, controlled play about him. But he, he was just an Australian guy that was just having a really good A League career. And there's, there's actually loads of players over there like that that you wouldn't you wouldn't even know about. But they went on to have like good careers, and some of them have played international football. Um, but yeah, you just wouldn't know them here in Scotland. And in terms of managers, who would you say has been the, the best manager for you so far? Oh, I think Graham Arnold, hands down. And I had an international manager, Anthony Hudson, was was different class as well, to be honest. I'd say they too. Um, Tommy Burns, obviously, coming through. Jim McAnally, like guys like that, that really helped me when I was a young boy coming through at Celtic. Um, but they too, for me, and, and my senior career, are sort of hands down. And the, last, main, the main question I've got for you, you've just alluded to it a few times, but what advice would you give to, to, to young Scottish players that are coming through now? They could be like yourself at Celtic Rangers, finding it difficult to break in because obviously of the big names, like maybe a Scott Brown or a, a Ryan Jack and the sort of Celtic Rangers team. What advice would you give to those young boys? I would just say like that, that there's, there's definitely football and definitely life outside of Scotland. I mean, just because you can't get into a team that's sort, sort of riddled with these good players and Celtic Rangers or whatever team it is, there is, if you're adventurous enough and brave enough, there is football outside Scotland and there's a big world out there. And I think if you if you, if you you really believe in your talent, then just go for it. You know, if you get opportunities, then go for it and go and see what you can do. Right, Michael, it's been a pleasure and I hope we can, we can see you back in the game very, very soon. And, and as I say, thanks for your time again. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, mate. Cheers. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our 